Well, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word uh, back to 1 Peter. We continue uh, to look at this strange letter for, for many of us as there are so many, uh, so many ways in which Peter is confronting um, our faith. We're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us, and you have caused this speech to be written down, and you have caused this writing to be protected and, and to be promoted throughout the generations so that we who were once not your people but have become your people, might have the fullness of that revelation that you want for us as your people, chosen and precious to you. And so, Lord, help us to hear. Help us to block out all the noise that is in our heads and in our hearts today. And help us to be able to hear you speak in a fresh way through this ancient revelation. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've been fairly aggravated for several years, and not just because that's my nature. Ask my wife and children, I tend to be aggravated at lots of things. But for years now, we have uh, had a building argument that, that has been utilized within our culture here in America, culture that we live in and we cannot help but be influenced by. Now, influence here can be one of two things. You can either be influenced in a way that you start to unthinkingly go along with something, or influence can be uh, where you, in a thinking way, reject something and decide to go to the equal and opposite direction of what's being promoted. 
Now, the problem with both of those responses is that neither one of those are Christian. The calling that you and I have as God's people is to be a people of the word. And the truth of God's word is not established on the basis of the opposite of what is false. Because there can be something that is false and its opposite can also be false. Now that is not to suggest that truth is found in the middle. Truth is found in the word of God. For many years now, but it has really picked up steam in the last couple, there has been this, this theory, uh, this sociological theory being um, taught called critical theory that is often applied to um, racial uh, situations where it's called critical race theory. I'm not going to try to go into all of it, but the bottom line is that with critical theory, what you're taught to do is to understand yourself in light of things like your race and your gender, your socioeconomic status, and other things. And depending on where you fit within those, those types of criteria tells you where you fit within society. Now, not getting in, I'm not, I'm not going to try to get into the specifics. But what has been proposed is that if you have a certain race and a certain gender and a certain socioeconomic status, that means that you find yourself in one position in society and someone that may be of a different race and a different gender and a different socioeconomic status is in a different place within society. And what they use to try to help explain the differences of where you fit within society is the word privilege. What has aggravated me for years is, all right, the academics, yes. We can, if you want to have coffee and discuss the academics, I, it's fun. What has aggravated me is the way the word privilege conceptually is now seen as something inherently negative. Now, why does that aggravate me? Because God wants us to understand ourselves as his people through the lens of privilege. It is a good thing to be blessed to be a part of God's people. And it brings with it, by necessity, privileges that those who are outside of God's people, that they don't possess. Within the imagery of what Peter has been doing here, going back to 1-1 and, and kind of coming to a conclusion here in 2-12, is he is presenting this argument 
to a group of churches who live in an area where they are not in power, where they are not in influence. And because of that, they are struggling uh, because their neighbors, their co-workers, um, don't like them. If you had a particular job, you would have been part of a trade guild. And, and one of the requirements of being in that trade guild is that you were supposed to offer certain offerings to the God of that trade guild. Well, if you were a believer, you wouldn't offer that offering, and what would happen is you wouldn't get work. Now, just to be clear, what we are talking about here in 1 Peter is not state-sanctioned persecution. That was not going on at this time. It was not going on in this region. This is not the government having decided that they don't like Christians and therefore are killing and martyring Christians. That's not what Peter is talking about. What Peter is talking about is social pressure. What Peter is talking about is this temptation that we all can have to want to be accepted by those that we work with, that we live around. And what is happening is the Christians are not experiencing that. And they aren't experiencing it because of their faith. Because they have been born again to a living hope and now, as part of God's people, are sojourners and exiles within this world, they have now become part of the kingdom program of God that God describes here in 1 Peter in terms of temple. The people of God have been made a part of the temple of God. And as we introduced last time, there is a second building project that is going on within this world. That the kingdom program, in, in the, through this lens of temple that God is doing, that God started in the Garden of Eden, that God is bringing to its full completion in Revelation 21 and 22, this kingdom program through the lens of temple that God has been doing from the beginning, is doing throughout history, and will bring to its fulfillment at the end, at the end of all things. It is not the only program that is going on within this world. There is a counterfeit kingdom that is being led by the spiritual powers and authorities. And we see this first step of warfare in the Garden of Eden when the serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say? That was the first shot of this one who had fallen because he wanted to be God rather than serve God. And as he comes to this world, he comes to Adam and Eve, who have been made in God's image, who have been given this special privilege of being made in God's image, which meant that they were called to participate in God's rule. But they were the first royalty. They were the first priests. 
They were the first prophets who had received communication from God and who had the calling to disseminate that communication to any and all who would come from them by ordinary generation. They were the first royal priesthood. And the counterfeit, this serpent, comes and in firing these first shots, they give in to the falsehood rather than holding on to the truth. And they join this serpent in his desire to be like God rather than to serve. And ever since then, there has been this conflict between what God is building in this world and what the serpent is attempting to build in counterfeit of God's program. What Peter is doing here, guys, and this is why we've gone very slowly through this section, he is taking these huge cosmic themes and he's using them to help you and I understand who we are so that we can live as God's people in the midst of a world that is not our home and is hostile to us precisely because we are sojourners and exiles in it. And the temptation for the people of God back then and the temptation for you and me right now is to get embarrassed about God's kingdom program. To be ashamed at times of when it doesn't seem to be going well. When like the psalmist in Psalm 73 who says, I look around at the evil. I look around at the wicked. I look around at those who don't fear you, and their lives seem to be characterized by ease, by prosperity. Things seem to go so well for them. They don't have the pressures that we have. They don't care about living righteously, and they use their power to accumulate things for themselves. And look, they seem to have this nice, comfortable, influential existence within this world. And he says, because I saw this, my foot almost slipped. What does that mean? I started to give in to living like them so that I could enjoy the pleasures they are enjoying. But what stops the psalmist in Psalm 73? If you aren't familiar with this psalm, read it later. He says, but I remember, I came into the sanctuary, and as I beheld your presence, I was reminded of their future. And what is that future? Judgment. Are they experiencing ease and prosperity 
influence, power? Are they experiencing that? Yes. He doesn't say that what I realize is that they don't really experience those things. What he saw is that I realize they experience these things, but only for a short time. Now, this is really key here. It is when the psalmist goes into the temple and is able to behold the, the glory of God in that temple, that his thinking, that his perspective that the affections of his heart are set back correctly in understanding that there are these two kingdoms that are coexisting right now and one looks like it's winning and the other doesn't, but reality is actually flipped. And it was when he came into the temple, was able to behold God's glory, was able to be reoriented according to God's means of grace, that he was able to take a step back, see the big cosmic picture for what it truly is, and see where he fits within that in order for him not to be ashamed and not to have his foot slip, but to remain confident in following God even though, for now, it is difficult, it is hard, and doesn't always give us the earthly pleasure that we would like to have. It doesn't always give us the earthly prestige. It doesn't always give us the earthly power. It doesn't always lead us to being accepted and respected. Now, here in First Peter... What he's saying to the people who were tempted, like that psalmist, to see what's going on around them, to, to feel what they are ex experiencing because of this rejection from their culture, where they are tempted to slip, where they are, tempt where they are tempted to be ashamed, where they are, they are tempted to maybe shrink back and maybe just try to go into a privatized faith. What Peter is saying, look, you are part of the temple program of God where the first stone, Jesus Christ, has been set and you as living stones are being built upon him so that you are becoming the expression of God's presence. You are becoming the expression of God's truth. You are becoming the expression of God's rule. You are becoming the expression of God's, God's cosmic program. And as such, you are going to suffer for a time. Go back to chapter 1. But it is only for a time, and its purpose is to purify your fidelity. Peter uses, then, language that was used to define God's people in the Old Testament. You are chosen. You are precious. 
You are a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood. Later on, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my possession. And he says this now to Gentiles. Now think about that for a minute. He's taking old covenant descriptions of God's people and is using that description for Gentiles for you and for me who did not grow up in the physical lineage of Abraham. Those who grew up in the way that God describes in Hosea as lo ami, not my people. You and I grew up without the heritage of Abraham. You and I grew up with, without having those old covenant, um, um, that old covenant membership by way of circumcision and physical lineage. And what that meant in the Old Testament with regards to temple was that even if a Gentile had, had, you know, had come to Jerusalem and would see the temple before him and would be attracted to want to know what is going on there, he had to stay or she had to stay on the outer courts. They weren't even allowed to enter in to the court of the women. Now we're going to talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. But they certainly were not allowed to go into the court of men, and they were certainly not allowed to go into the court where the bronze altar would be there on display before them. And they certainly could not have crossed through the doorway into the temple, into the holy place. They were so far removed that there were multiple courts that they would have had to pass through to even get to that point and they were not allowed to go into any of them to be not my people was to be cut off from God's presence and it was to be cut off from the sacrifices and what God has done in Jesus Christ, beloved, is he has caused Gentiles like you and me to be able to enter in, not just to the court of women and not just to the court of men and not just to where the bronze altar is found, but he has caused us to come all the way into the holy of holies in the temple. And we who were once 
outside of the covenant, we who were once not God's people, we who were once those who dwell in darkness, we have been brought all the way in so that we come into the holy place where the menorahs are on both sides and they are illuminating this temple presence of God and where we have come into the holy of holies itself where God's presence is the light of that, of that room. We, we are told here, we were called out of darkness and into light. And it is so easy for us to take those concepts and make them moral. And guess what? It is moral. But if you limit it to talking about morality, if you limit this concept of darkness and light to simply being about ethics or morality, then you miss the privilege of what it is to be one who was in the darkness and who has been drawn all the way into the Holy of Holies. And as the writer of Hebrews says, it's not the Holy of Holies of a copy of the true things here on earth. We are drawn into the heavenly holies of holies through the blood of Jesus Christ, where we are called to enter with boldness time after time after time after time because through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the heavenly holy of holies is our true home. But right now, look around you. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12 that when we're called to worship, that's where we are. But look around you. Does this look like the Holy of Holies? Are you in your new bodies? Are you in a glorified state? Many of us are going, oh, I hope not. (laughs) And yet, by faith, beloved, this is where we are. And as we will depart and receive God's benediction and blessing, we are departing that heavenly holy of holies, which is our true home, in order to go back out into this world that still finds itself in the darkness of being cut off from the temple of God. Except for now in Jesus Christ, Tabernacle and temple have been joined together, and we are a mobile presence of Christ that goes out into this world. And we go out into this world with that same function of the temple in the Old Testament. We are where people can come and see and interact with the presence of God. You and I are that place where people can come and see and interact with the grace of God. You and I are a place where people can come and hear the word of God. But if we, like Adam and Eve, get confused about our identity and don't understand our privilege, we will give in to the whisperings of the spiritual powers and authorities that are constantly whispering in your ear for you to participate in being a part of the the counterfeit kingdom-building program of Satan rather than fulfilling your privilege calling of being a part of the kingdom-building activities of God's temple.
and look. There is no middle ground. You can't dabble. Because if you dabble, you are participating in the wrong kingdom program. And what does Peter tell us here? What is the fate of those who are part of the counterfeit building program of the serpent? That their time is coming and they are um, living in contrary to the word of God as they were destined to do. And the writer of uh, the psalmist in Psalm 73 presents us that same perspective that we have to to remind ourselves of over and over and over and over and over. Am I going to constantly realign and reorient myself according to the God that I have interacted with in worship and then take that worship out into the world? Or am I going to get caught up in my heart and in my mind and in my activities in not participating in what God is doing and participating more in what is happening out within the world. The history of God's people is that this has been a challenge for us going back to Genesis 3. But what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, he has forever provided himself a faithful man, a covenant keeper, And when you are found to be united to him by faith, you are considered a covenant keeper as well. And so the motivation here for us, beloved, is to become more and more and more what God already counts us to be in Jesus Christ. And you can either get caught up into what's going on within this culture and either accidentally get swept away or can try to just be the opposite. But the reality is that's not who we are. That's not who we're called to be. The privilege that we have as God's people is to be a living stone, part of a temple presence of God, where we magnify and celebrate God here in worship, and then we take that celebration out into our lives. And when the people around us are struggling because they are still in darkness, when they are suffering because they're scared by something like the coronavirus, we are those who can stand in the confidence of Jesus Christ and can tell them, this is bad, but there is something better. There is something greater. There is something that is eternal. Let me tell you how awesome God is and just how amazingly merciful and gracious he is. My encouragement, don't get sucked into what's going on. Be aware of it, but don't get sucked into it. Be aware of it so that you can offer hope. Because, beloved, we are part of the true cosmic temple building program of God. And he 
is going to succeed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for your help today as your people. There is so much going on right now. There is all kind of conflict that exists right now because of the explosion of chaos that is the result of this critical theory that is a falsehood, that is being promoted, that is taking over the narrative. But Father, help us to see that what we offer this world is a superior narrative. That we don't have to try to to get swept up into the specifics of a false narrative, but that we can present to people a superior one. So, so that, we can, that we can embody and present this eternal cosmic reality of who you are and what you are doing and the privilege that you give to people to be a part of it. Father, there are people around us hurting right now. And they are responding to this hurt through sin. And sometimes it gets so easy for us to want to just judge the sin. But Lord, help us to have the posture of Jesus Christ who said that he came not to judge, but to offer life. And so help us, Lord, when we get tempted to start judging the people around us because of the obvious sin that is there to instead, Lord, to see their lostness, to see that they are in the darkness, to see that they are acting exactly like one would do as they are groping around, and that we who are in the holy place that live a life of illumination in the Spirit and in your truth might go out to them and call them to join us in the illuminated holy place and to be able to eat the bread with us and with you. Oh Lord, we ask that you would open doors of ministry, especially during this difficult time right now where, it need, where, we, where there, it, we need to be creative um, even as we are respectful to, to the people around us Lord, make us bold in the confidence that your temple program is going to succeed and that the privilege that we have of being part of that program is to use our privilege on behalf of those who have none. And Lord, bless our efforts and bring people to know Jesus Christ through conversations that people in this room will have with people outside of this room and bring people to Jesus Christ through lives lived in hope by the people in this room in front of those who are outside. Lord, we ask that you would glorify yourself in building your temple here at Grace Covenant Church and through Grace Covenant Church in Paulding County and West Cobb County. For the glory of your great name and for the success of your eternal loving kindness in sending your son into the coastlands 
to draw from every tribe, tongue, and nation to yourself. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.